and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone is starting to enjoy the slightly longer hours of daylight and looking forward to the competition season ramping up, although it does seem as if there's an awful lot of mud still around at the moment. This month, we're talking to trainer Kim Bailey. He takes a look ahead at the upcoming Cheltenham Festival and talks about the highs and lows of training racehorses. It's very hard to ring up an owner who's bred a horse and say, I'm really sorry, I don't think it's any good. I mean, it's, it's, it's no different to ringing up the parent of a child and saying, I really don't think little John is doing very well at the moment, perhaps another school or another career. It's not, it's not what they want to hear. <laughs> so with no further ado, it's time to pick up your reins and we'll get started. Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, racing editor at Horse and Hound. And with the Cheltenham Festival fast approaching, I'm delighted to be joined this week by a hugely successful jumps trainer who has racked up more than 1,400 winners in a glittering career and has achieved the rare feat of landing the magical big three, the Champion Hurdle, the Gold Cup and the Grand National. A very warm welcome to Kim Bailey. Kim, thank you for joining us. Oh, Jennifer, we're very kind. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> glowing, glowing intro there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start by talking about this year's Cheltenham Festival. This is always a hugely exciting time of year for racing fans. How are the preparations going at Thorndale Farm? Chianti Classico is likely to be your big hope. Is that right? Yeah, so we, we, we have two runners going into the week. Um, we have Chianti Classico and Trelawne. Um, and both horses are entered in, in, in a couple of races, and there is every possibility they'll they'll end up running in the same races because at oh, the end gosh. of it, they both they both want the same. And you know, from the owner's point of view, um, having a run at Cheltenham is the most important thing. And you know, they've got to run their horses in their races that are most suitable. But yes, um, you know, it, we're at, say three weeks time, a lot can change because the ground will be different. Um, Chianti Classico will go on good, good to soft ground. Um, Trelaw wants you know softer, for, better for him. Um, and, it, and it's the first time he's run over three miles, which is something I've been itching to do for quite a long time. But we haven't had the opportunities to go and do it um, on the right conditions. So, uh, yeah. um, you know, he's a frustrating horse because he's got a lot of talent, but he's done weird things on a race course. Like uh, at Weatherby, he, he, he ran the grade two and, and, and should have won it. He, he went past the stands and decided that actually it was a very attractive car on the car park. He wanted to have a look at it. <laughs> Um, and uh, on his second race ever, he ran at Exeter um, and jumped the last five rates clear and decided the umbrella and the way in the paddock was better than the, no. the finishing race and, <laughs> and decided to try and join us. So he has his quirks, but he's got a lot of talent and a lot of ability. Yeah. Um, and uh, his owner breeders are, um, are very, very aware of his problems and his pitfalls, but also adore the horse. So, uh, oh my so, goodness. so it could be a very exciting week if it all sort of comes together that's the thing well, I mean, racing, uh, isn't it uh, having about having runners at the Cheltenham Festival is always exciting it's you know the build-up is huge yeah um you know gone are the days when um you know nowadays you know that you you have the opportunity to do more Cheltenham previews than you can possibly oh, imagine yes. <laughs> personally I, personally I hate them but um, um, <laughs> um I do one I'll do it for charity and that's oh, it good. Um, yeah um, and are there any particular horses or clashes or races you're most looking forward to watching at the festival this year as well? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, Constitution Hill is, 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 as you well know, is probably the, you know, undoubtedly the best horse in the country. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, you can't help but wait to see him run. I mean, he's such a wonderful horse. Uh, I, like everybody else who went for sales at Newmarket the day he was the day he was there um, and being sold and we all looked at him and we all walked away because the poor old horse didn't look great and he looked yeah. he, he traveled very badly from 
from from Ireland, and, and we all had the opportunity to buy them, and none of us did. Um, yeah. This goes to show, you know, we're, we're all so hideously wrong at these situations. Um, so yeah, he he's he's a fabulous horse, and uh, well, I mean, he, he goes through every single race. You've got the Champion Chase, you've got the Gold Cup. There, there's so many good races at the Cheltenham Festival. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the 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 bumper which finishes off an awful lot of the races. Um, you know, really competitive racing, which is brilliant. That's it. There's so much to be excited about, isn't there? And you've said that uh, Cheltenham can make or break a trainer. Is there a huge amount of pressure to get that winner this week? I've heard other trainers say it's you know it's not quite as much fun as we imagine. Well, uh, it, it, is, it is huge make and break because a winner at the Cheltenham Festival is like having ten winners elsewhere. Um, it's you know it is it is the pinnacle of racing. It is the one time of the year when everybody promotes themselves. Um, everybody watches television. Anybody who's remotely interested in racing or even thinking about having a horse in training will probably look at it. You know, if you if you if you go and have a big win and and and, uh, and you do a particularly attractive interview afterwards, they might fall in love with you and say, "We'll yes. have a horse with you." Yeah. Um, so um, you know, we, we sit there with a the phone waiting to ring if you have a winner. You know, yeah. When it, when the horses don't perform or or they don't run, you know, they don't have runners, you're you're not there to showcase yourself. So That's it is right. important. It's a really important week. Yeah, and we I mean we talk every year about the Irish domination. Is it just one of those cyclical things? Do you think, or is there a is there a problem there somewhere? Well, I think there is now. Um, you know, so we've we've had this battle with the Irish for a long time, and it, it swayed back and forwards. But we are now in a situation where a lot of big English, big English owners have horses in training in Ireland because their prize money is is definitely better than ours. Um, their racing has run probably in a in a in a, in a more straightforward manner, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and they do a phenomenal job looking after you. Um, and you know, at the end of it, it's it's. Uh, it's however much we might get annoyed about the fact that they are running the, or taking their horses to be trained over there. It, it is very hard to, 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 to say, well, you know, we should have them, you should have them in training in England because at the end of it, we, we aren't quite as good as the Irish at the moment, sadly, um, um, for lots of reasons. Our prize money is, is, is disappointing in comparison. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it has to be a long, long knock-on effect. So I think until, until things, the pendulum swings, it's going to be the same for a few years to come. Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, it's one of those things we just have to sort of roll with it at the moment and hope it uh, the tide does turn. But um, we can't talk about Cheltenham without mentioning that momentous year in 1995 when you and Norman Williamson teamed up to land the Gold Cup with Masteroids and the champion hurdle with Alderbrook. Does that still stand out as one of your greatest Cheltenham moments? Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> undoubtedly. I mean, I've had a couple of winners since then, but, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, those, those were heady days. I mean, Alderbrook was my first ever, my first ever, Ch- uh, uh, Cheltenham winner. Um, so you never forget that. You never forget your first and last of anything you do. And, uh, uh <laughs> that was a phenomenal day. Um, and, uh, the whole story about the horse and, 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 and the dream of the owner and it coming true is, 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 um, uh, it goes in the history books as one of those extraordinary things that happened. Oh, yeah. So tell us how it all started. I mean, they were two phenomenal horses, but, the, you know, they were sort of unlikely moments at times as well. And they were very much unlikely moments because at the end of it, uh, um, only Pig, who who owned Alderbrook, um, was um, on hold in, I think it was in Thailand. Um, and uh, he, I think he probably had a cocktail too many or whatever, <laughs> but he had a dream after lunch one day that his horse was going to win the champion album. No um, and uh, yeah, so that was that was in you know late December. Yeah, um, and he arrived on my doorstep um, <laughs> and uh, said to me, "Look, I've just flown." And literally, he just got off the plane and drove straight down to come and see me. Oh my goodness! And I had and I hadn't I hadn't met him before. I mean, I'd spoken to him, and I hadn't met him. 
Uh, and he said, I want you to train my horse to win the champion hurdle. First of all, I didn't know what horse he was talking about because um, <laughs> he hadn't mentioned his name. Um, right. and, and secondly, when he told me what it was, I thought, well, tremendous. He's a decent flat horse. Yeah. Quickly looked up his form to realize he had one run of the hurdles and, and finished tailed off last. So I thought, my God, <laughs> this is a, a dream and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a situation that wasn't going to happen. But yeah. you know, like all trainers, I said, yes, of course we will. Yeah. Um, but the provisor was he had to go to Yogi Breidner from from where he was currently being trained, which is with Julius Hessel in Newmarket. So he 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 took the short trip from there to where where, uh, where Yogi was um, currently or then training. Right. Um, and Yogi and Yogi had him for ten days um, to teach him for jump. And after a week, he rang me up and said, "I'm not winning." I said, "I'm sorry, Yogi, but that's not a good enough excuse. You've got three more days." <laughs> right. Um, and uh, yeah, so he did. And without him, I, the, the horse would never have ever have got to Cheltenham because he did a phenomenal job on on teaching him. And, and anybody who knows anything about eventing will realise that actually it is now so normal for for these these unbelievable successful people to teach people and teach horses to jump. That's um, it. I was. I think I was the first person to use him um, in the in the racing world, and he was. Both horses benefited enormously from what he did. So yeah, we we went from there, and and uh, you know we 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 got him we got him into the yard and everything else. But we knew by then he was a well, we knew already, but he was a decent flat horse. But we never yeah. really quite how much he was going to be over hurdles. Um, and we we schooled him on the Lambourne gallops very late in the morning to try and avoid anybody else seeing him. Right. Um, and uh, uh, Norm Williamson rode him, and Eddie Hales, my sister, and I were sitting up there watching. And at that stage, was Brian Delaney, who was then Charlie Brooks's headlamp. Um, anyway, the three two horses went over the hurdle race. Uh, over the hurdle, I I don't think I've ever seen horses go over a hurdle so fast in my life. And, oh my gosh! Uh, um, Brian Delaney said, "What's that?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, that's a horse called Alderbrook." And he said, "What are you planning to do with him?" I said, "Joking." He said, "With the champion hurdle," um, and uh, I. No, I think his car might have even got to the Labrick's betting shop in Labrick before I did. So, uh, um. <laughs> That's it. And I think we all remember his slick jumping. He was just phenomenal, wasn't he? Just to watch. It was a joy. He he was extraordinary. I, I, you know, I think he ran five or six times for me in total, but I don't think he ever made a mistake. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, again, testament to, to, to what Yogi did because that yeah. groundwork was also important. Um, and uh, yes, it was it was extraordinary. You know, when you see a horse running in the champion hurdle, still on the hard on the bridle, turning turning for home, it's uh, oh, it's gosh. slightly does um, um, make you sweat under the armpits a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And Master Oates, I have to say, I adored him. He was he was sort of one of the reasons that cemented my love of racing growing up. He was, I mean, what a horse! He's just sort of battled to the end, didn't he? In every race he went in. Well, they, they were both horses wanted very soft ground, and they were very different horses as individuals. I mean, um, Alderbrook was a you know a bright, entertaining, intelligent individual, yeah. uh, and Master Oak was a dour, thick, boring individual <laughs> if he was a human being. Yes, um, and he you know he, he would run through a brick wall for you. I wouldn't <laughs> even think about you know if you if you you know if you were galloping down a road and a lorry's in front of you, he'd would, he would work out how to get round the other side somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um he he was one of those extraordinary horses and, and again he you know he 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 had his he had his problems you know he he broke a blood vessel he missed a season for it mm-hmm. um we trained his we changed his training regime accordingly um and he was not a good jumper um right. he was uh, he his brain didn't work quick enough for his feet Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> you know, he, he, he'd see a fence and he'd prick his ears, but then yeah. he'd forget, forget that his feet had to go <laughs> in the same direction. And again, that's where Yogi came in because he spent hours with him. He spent more time with Master Oates than he did with Alderbrook. 
Um, and uh, you know, we schooled him over over you know telegraph poles on the morning of the Gold Cup, just to remind him what he was doing, oh, wow. which was um, which was a very hairy thing to go and do. But um, um, <laughs> it obviously uh, did its job. It's um, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, he he, was, he made one mistake in the Gold Cup, um, and, and 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 I think Norman really got really annoyed with him and uh, <laughs> pulled him to the outside, and then and then it was all over. And that he was, was it. very impressive. Off he went. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and tell us about your setup now at Thorndale Farm. How many horses do you have in training? We have we have 55, 60 horses in training. Um, and um, we we are on a thousand acre estate here, which is owned by the Vestes. Um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. We've got a five foot, four furlong hill gallop. We've got loads of grass to canter on. And we got a round circular two furlong um, gallop, which you know the facilities that everybody has really. Yeah. So there's nothing there's nothing different on it. But it's a, you know, it's a it's a particularly like, beautiful part of the world. And, and standing on the top of my gallops every day, I have a view from from heaven. And uh, oh. you know, I can sit back and see over the Cotswolds on a nice summer day. It looks fabulous. I have to say, anyone who's who's not following you on Instagram should follow you because the views and the videos and the pictures are stunning, aren't they? They're just uh, very envious of your views in the morning. Well, I just have to say that I think the, the average person would be very, very envious uh, um, if she was on a train commuting to London or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I occasionally go to London and I think, my God, why? Thank God I don't have to do this every single day. So I'm, in, I'm incredibly lucky I get paid for doing something I do as a hobby. So, um, and standing on those gallops is really part of it. Very special. And you've got some super horses at the moment. Tell us about them. We must talk about First Flow, first of all. I mean, you've described him as a challenge, but extraordinary, and you obviously adore him. He's um, he's something else, really. Um, he he came to me. Carrie Fanshawe bought him as an unbroken three-year-old in, in Ireland, and eighteen months later, she rang me up and said, "Look, um, I, I've got this horse. Would you come and watch him work?" And we went to go and watch him work. David Bass rode him, mm-hmm. and uh, we took a horse along to go and work with him. And it probably wasn't a very good horse, but anyway, the horse first flow worked all over him. Anyway, we we stood in it stood in a shower of, of, of snowflakes and God knows what else on a bitterly cold day. And, and we hammered out a deal. Um, and uh, so I bought him. Um, and Tony Solomons, who's been a longest serving owner I've had in the yard, um, was, was then currently looking for a horse to replace his horse, Harry Topper. Um, and we sold him to him. And uh, they were both very similar horses. They both, they both again, wore their heart on their sleeves and, and uh, prepared to do everything for you. And, you know, he did everything that I've ever asked him. And he just gets better and better and better. And you know, he's he's just he's an odd boy. He's a freak. He goes out. Um, you know, these horses that are are, are are different are usually freaks of nature. I mean, they've they've got they've got to be. You know, you can't breed it. They've got to be something that makes them through the pain barrier every single day. And yeah, um, you know, it doesn't mean that your father Sebastian Co and your mother's Fatima are going to be a fantastic um, uh, athlete. Yeah, but he he he's he's gone and done it from 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 areas whereby he shouldn't do. Um, and he's done it always through his life. I mean, and his win at uh, uh, Lingfield when he carried top weight in the handicap was was a, on his last run. He's had for me it was was fantastic. But um, you know, we are coming at the end of his the end of his time, um, and it's hard to find races for him. Um, and if I can't, if I don't feel happy with him, I shall stop with him. You yeah. know, I, this will be his last season. Sadly, his owner is um, is not a well man, and he, he's um, he's now ninety four. Um, and he doesn't really understand. He's got a horse in training now, so uh, um, you know, the, which is sad for him because you, Tony was a man who really understood his racing. Um, he was a big wig in the city. He was chairman of Singer and Friedner Bank. He was they, he used to sponsor the Midlands National for many years. Loved his racing, knew his horses, um, 
And uh, the saddest thing for him is that when we won the Clarence House at Ascot, uh, it was during COVID and he wasn't able to go and watch him run. And I think that was... That would have been um, a very special day for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's people like that that uh, the backbone of the sport, aren't they? The ones that uh, stick with you and the longevity and stuff. It's what we need. Um, it is, and he's been with me every single season from my first oh. season. And he's had loads of, uh, well, I would say loads is the wrong way. But he's had several flat trainers, but I've only been his, I've been his only jump trainer. So uh, he's been a, he's been a wonderful man to deal with. Definitely. Um, and are there any other sort of yard favourites and exciting ones coming through the ranks that you have? Well, I, 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 you know, I've got some um, nice horses coming through, um, and uh, you know, the likes of here is Duramay, who's who's just had a wind operation. He won his bumper. He was placed in his bumper. He's won his hurdle race. And, you know, he's just he's such a big horse, and you won't see the best of him until he goes chasing. But I mean, he's he's got the size and scope. He's won over hurdles, and a lot of my horses are very much looking looking to the future and, and, and thinking where they're going to go in years' time. And I love. I love chasing. I love seeing horses go through and be chasers. And, you know, he's one of, of, of several, I hope, in, in, in time. They will go and justify what we believe in them. But uh, it, it's, such a, it's such an extraordinary sport because you wait and wait and wait and things don't go quite right or weather conditions are not right for you. And, um, uh, you know, you've got the other extreme of the, the situation where you've got Chianti Classico, who's, who's, you know, done everything right every single season. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, he's got, he doesn't run very often. He takes his races to you know, take, his races take a lot out of him. Right. Um, but, you know, he's won two races this season. He won two last season. He won two the season before. And, you know, he's been a wonderfully fun horse to be involved in. And uh, so, you know, you, you can go on. We've got little horses like Destroy the Evidence. He's won three horses, races over hurdles this year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a horse that I think in time will be a, a smashing chaser. He's not very big, but he's got a great pedigree. You know he's by he's by Cape Tara. Um, he's he's he, he's got a great family history of jump racing, and I, I you know I think he's going to be a, a really nice horse in time. I'm looking forward to seeing him going chasing. Very um, exciting. You know I bought him. I bought him at the sales in uh, Goffs and thought, well, when this horse grows into 162, he's going to be a lovely horse. Well, yeah. he's still the same. He's still the same <laughs> size as the day I bought him. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's you know he's been fun to deal with. And, yeah. But I'm lucky, um, and Jenna, I've got, I've got great horses, great owners, and, um, you know, we have a lot of fun out of racing, and that's how it should be. Absolutely, and patience as well. You know, you talk about buying them at the sales. It's a long waiting game, isn't it, waiting for them to reach that full potential? It, it is, um, and I have all the patience in the world, um, and the hardest part is trying to persuade your owners to have the yeah. patience. <laughs> and uh, um, I, always say, I always say to a new owner coming into the sport, you're probably buying a youngster is not the ideal way of doing it, because if you've never been involved in racing, and you suddenly find that it's your, you know, if you've had enough money to go and buy a racehorse, it's a bit like asking someone to go and buy a, a Rolls Royce. And perhaps it's his dream of a car that he might want to go and buy, having proved that he's got the money to go and spend it. Right. And, uh, and, as, and as the salesman hangs, hands over the keys and says, well, I'm really sorry, sir, but uh, we'll, we'll give you the keys, but you can't drive it for 18 months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the same situation we're buying a youngster. It just takes time. And, you know, if you've got the if you've got the inclination to give it time, um, you, you've got probably more chance of buying a proper horse. But uh, it yeah. is very difficult. And have your training methods changed over the years? Has your philosophy changed? Have you learnt key things along the way? Are you always learning, even. You're, you're always learning. Nothing ever stops in life, um, and you should always look around the corner and see what else other people are doing and whether it's going to be beneficial to you. You know, I spent I spent my early part of the year training uh, with other trainers, and they were very different. 
Um, Captain Foster used to gallop his horses in big round circles and go forever and ever and ever. Uh, and Fred Rymel did, did short well, interval training without probably realizing he was doing it. Um, <laughs> you trade the facilities you have. And, you right. know, I trained in Lambourne. So Lambourne had all the facilities in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a choice of which gallops you go to. But I think Martin Pipes, the one person, is probably transform racing because at the end of it, there was a man who suddenly burst on the scenes um, and, and his horses never stopped winning. Um, and the, he is a man who had a, a short gallop. He used to canter up it and canter down it. Um, it was interval training. And if you go back to your school days, you know, the, the, the trotting around the outside of a football pitch or a hockey pitch was easy, but the 25-yard dash, 25-yard dash was the thing that actually hurt you. Oh, yes. Um, and, that, and that's really what he did. Um, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Martin. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go and have a look around his facilities. I've always got on very well with him. He has probably changed everybody's attitude to training because now our horses are fit first time out, where in the old days they would take two or three runs to get fit. That's true, yes. So it's a sort of influence from um, people like that that sort of take got us here. And take me right back then, your father was a trainer as well. Was racing always going to be your path in life? Yeah, my father was a farmer and, 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 and trained a few horses for his friends. Um, and uh, that was the way he wanted to do it. And he was very successful at it. Mm-hmm. He had a horse called Mac Joy, who I think won at the Cheltenham Festival three years on the trot. Um, and in the days when there were nothing like the races are now, I mean, I think there were three divisions of the novice hurdle. Oh, really? um, <laughs> and certainly two divisions of the novice hurdle on the first day. Um, um, and yes, yeah, so he did it for, for different reasons. And I... Uh, I found I always remember my first experience being shoved on a tractor, rolling a field, um, and I was eight or nine, and I was going up and down this field all day long. And frankly, I had no means aboard in my life. And, um, <laughs> it was not for me. I, I love the horses. I love being with the people involved with the horses. I, um, I love the racing, and uh, yeah. So I knew very early on I was going to do what I'm going to do. Um, right. So yeah, I then set the, the, the route forward for doing it. Amazing. And was there a horse that first put you on the map? When did you start to think, okay, yes, you're sort of making it on your own as a trainer? Well, I, yeah, well, I, I, was, I was very lucky about my first or second winner was a horse called Shifting Gold, um, ridden by John Frankham, who won the Anson Mildmay chase at Sandown. Yeah. Um, yeah, then we had we had a, um, the same horse ran in the Grand National that year, and um, Michael Dickinson was going to ride him. Um, and... Uh, um, he got injured, um, and then Bob Champion ended up riding. But the biggest problem I had at the time was trying to work out where I could find Bob Champion because oh. <laughs> uh, uh, trying to find someone 24 hours before the national at night time yeah. in those days was quite difficult. <laughs> yeah. I won't take it any further, but um, yeah. we, I did find him. <laughs> well done. It's quite an achievement. And yeah, so that was, uh, was that sort of one of your earlier experiences yeah, of the Grand that National? Was first, that, that was my first ever season. So I was yeah. by far the youngest trainer in the National. Um, uh, but yes, it's a it's frightening part about it. I slipped by very quickly, but I mean, yeah. it's been fulfilled with a lot, of, a lot of highs and a lot of lows and a great deal of fun. Well, that's it. And we can't talk about the Grand National without mentioning the brilliant Mr. Frisk in 1990 under Marcus Armitage. Tell us the story about, behind that great day. Again, I mean, really, I'm a great believer in fate, and things happen for really odd reasons. I went to the sales at Doncaster, and I, I saw this horse walking around the sale ring, and I absolutely loved him. But he was by Bivouac, who, who was renowned for being well producing horses that were very hot-headed. Um, and uh, I, I wasn't really sure that he was one for me. Um, and then I saw um, a chap called David Curtis bidding for him. And David Curtis, that stage, uh, sorry, his father, um, had, he, he had horses in training with uh, Fred Reimer, so I knew him. 
Um, and uh, I thought, well, he doesn't live very far from where the horse came from, so he must know something. Oh, yes. So I waited to see what was happening. And then I, I bid one more than him and he stopped. So that's how I got him. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, I sold him to Mrs. Duffy, um, who was an American owner who loved to come over from America for three months. And, and uh, they came, she came over August, September and October. And that's when she liked to come racing in England. She had a permanent suite in the Connaught and just really wanted to go wow. and have fun for three months. She was over. Yeah. And uh, I, before he ran his first race, I was, we worked him on Peter Cundall's gallops. And I had um, the great Jimmy Fitzgerald staying with me. And we watched his horse work. And he finished, I think, about 150 yards behind the other two horses he was working with. And uh, Jimmy said to me, what's that? So I said, well, rather embarrassing. That's a horse I bought at Donks Sales called Mr. <laughs> Fritz, who runs next week. Oh, and he no. said, if I, if, you, if I were you, Kim, I wouldn't embarrass yourself by running yeah. him. Um, so I arrived at uh, Exeter Races. And Mrs. Duffy had arrived 24 hours before. And she caught the train down to Exeter. And uh, I said, I think I'm really wasted your money. I don't think the horse is any good. Oh, no. I said, but the one thing he does do, he loves fast ground and he does jump. Right. Well, thank God I split the second half of him because he won by 20 lengths and he won oh, seven races that season. So, <laughs> But he, he was a horse that loved, loved fast ground. Um, and then obviously we decided to go for the National. I decided to go to the National. Mr. Duffy absolutely determined he wasn't going to run the National. Um, and she's told me three or four times that, you know, he can't run. Um, and uh, I'm afraid to say I was very stubborn and I kept on persevering and trying. And then the entries close, um, uh, as they always do, by midday on a, on a, on a particular weekday, on the Tuesday. And uh, I, I had made the entry, but I knew I couldn't lie to her completely. So I rang her um, <laughs> at one, I think, 15 seconds to 12, yeah. let the phone ring twice um, to say that actually I'd tried to ring her. Yes. Um, and uh, anyway, so I put the phone down. And she rang back five minutes time and said, I know that's you, Kim. Why are you ringing me? I said, I'm really sorry I couldn't get hold of her. I made an entry for the National. Whereupon she went absolutely ballistic with me and told me to take it out. Yeah. Uh, and I, I didn't. And we kept on going. And, and he, then he proceeded to go and win a couple more races. And then, and then the ground started to dry up. Every time he came to a forfeit stage, I forgot to ring it or take it out. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and then she said, oh, I'm not going to come over. I don't agree with the horse running. Right. Um, and then the night before, I got a phone call saying, I've arrived at Heathrow. I'm catching a taxi from Heathrow. Oh. And I'll be it. And then, there she was for the day. And, uh, yeah, so the horse won. Yeah. And can you remember much about the race? What were your sort of emotions crossing the line? I, and... I remember every bit of it. Um, oh, we had you? dinner the night oh. before with Hugh Davis, and he told us at great length how he was the only person who knew how to ride the race course <laughs> and how to ride Beaches Brook. And he was the horse that was leading us down to Beaches Brook, and he smartly fell. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we, were, we were left in front for an awful long way. And uh, yes, I mean, we, I walked the course the morning of the race with Marcus Armitage and his dad, uh, Roddy Armitage. And, and yeah. Roddy is, you know, was a man with a great sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and he said to Marcus, he said, if by any chance you end up coming to the elbow in front, he said, for God's sake, don't hit the horse because you'll fall off with exhaustion. Oh. Um, and uh, um, anyway, he didn't hit him. So he just kept on riding hands yeah. and heels. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was uh, extraordinary. Um, I shall never forget it. And, uh, and then there was a moment when I came, came in, going into the winner's enclosure. Um, I had, um, you know, you, you had the police mounted horses or the mounted police horses escorting them in. Yeah. And I, I, I rushed through that gap to go and, and to go and grab Marcus and say, well done. And the policeman grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and pushed me away and said, look, bugger off. You're not the trainer or the owner. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he did apologize the following Good. day. That was all right. <laughs>
<laughs> oh my goodness. And I mean, you can look back at, at moments like these. Can you, do you take time to look back at all you've achieved and feel proud? Or are you always looking ahead for that, that next winner, that next good horse? And I have to say that the only time I ever go back is when people like you ask questions like you <laughs> yes. asked, because at the end of it, you know, you're always looking, um, you know, I sit in an office with a picture of all the horses on the wall and uh, um, they are memories, yes, but they are memories. Um, they're great memories to have. But, um, you know, you've got to look to the future. The future is the most important thing. And, uh, you know, we're always striving to do a little bit extra, still strive to keep going. And, and it, you know, it, this industry is now going through a, a, a slightly difficult time. And, uh, um, you know, it, you've got to be positive and, and, and see the bright side and the right side of everything. And, uh, you know, I hope we can purvey that to other people. That's it. And, and you've mentioned it's your passion and your job. What sort of puts your spring in your step as you walk into the yard every morning? What do you love most about, about your job? Oh, well, it's, 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 it's seeing the horses on the gallops, it's seeing the horses doing things and seeing horses change. Yeah. Um, you know, you take a horse like Trelawne, for example, he, he showed us nothing. He showed us absolutely nothing at home. Um, and the day he took his first step on a race course, you know, I ran two horses in the race and neither David or Kieran couldn't make up their mind which one to run because they didn't think most probably either horse was going to be any good right uh, and uh, i said to david come on you've got to ride trelawn because uh, you know you know you know the steer fowlers who own it and bred it and we've you know they've had horse births in the past um and so he did and and you know we stood there not expecting anything to happen i remember driving down thinking this is going to be a very disappointing day oh no <laughs> and he and he smartly won by 18 lengths and that yeah. <laughs> you know that that makes you realize that we know absolutely nothing by what we're doing and what you see at home is not what you see on the race course and, That's it. you know you, we, we we can have horses at home that show nothing and then and get the racetrack the whole whole scenario winds them up gets them going and uh, then you have the other ones that go at home so fast, and then when they get the race course, they just don't don't do it. Yeah. So you know, it's that it's that ever ever turning circle of what will happen today, um, and there's always something going to be different. That's it, and the tinkering and the working, what's going right, what's going wrong, and mm. yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And then the phone calls and everything yeah. else. And, <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to ring up an owner who's bred a horse and say, "I'm really sorry, oh. I don't think it's any good." Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's no different to being ringing up the parent of a child and saying, I really don't think little John is doing very well at the moment. Perhaps That's another it. school would do him together or another career. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't envy you that phone call, definitely. Um, but finally then, what are your sort of goals for the rest of the season and beyond? What would you still like to achieve in your training career? Another Gold Cup winner or something, perhaps? Oh, I mean, another Gold Cup winner would be, would be the ultimate. And obviously it's not going to happen this year, but who knows? One of these horses that run this year might spring into into light in the future, um, and uh, you no, know, I think uh, you know the pinnacle the pinnacle of, of the racing world is is the Gold Cup. That is the Wimbledon of tennis, uh, Silverstone of motor racing, um, the Grand National is the race that everybody reads about, hears about, um, and it probably gives you more publicity than any other race you'll ever come across. Yeah, but it is it is the, it is the Gold Cup which is the best. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, well, Kim, it's been really great chatting to you as always. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast this week. A great pleasure, Jen. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Jen, and to Kim for joining us for that interview. Next month on the podcast, we'll hear from dressage Olympian Richard Davison. So do join us for that episode out on Thursday, the 28th of March. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the Horse and Hound podcast, do spread the word to your friends on social media and when you see them to help us grow our podcast family. Talk to you soon. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.